Good evening. I know that God's going to bless us in an extraordinary way tonight. I'm going to begin with a word of prayer, asking Jesus to bless us with his Holy Spirit. Father in heaven, we just thank you so much that you are the God that can fill the God-sized vacuum in each human heart. Lord, thank you for what it says in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, that you have put eternity in the heart of man. And only the eternal one can truly fill our empty hearts. Father, we pray and ask that you would bless us now with the Spirit of God. May you be present and may you speak to every person individually. For this we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Wonderful. Again, welcome to everybody who's here. If you're here for the first time, we're just glad that you are here. I know that uh, it's going to be a very special kind of message today. We're going to be learning some very interesting things. We've been covering during the night big questions, big questions that are in the heart of humanity, questions about God, questions about this world, questions about our heart, and how we can truly understand what the Bible is actually saying about these things. Tonight's special topic is entitled, How to Ace Your Exams and Still Be what? Normal. Sometimes people believe those are two mutually exclusive things. But what you're going to learn tonight, you can still be normal and still be a wonderful top-notch student. Can you say amen to that? As I said before, I come from a very, uh, what you may call, academically inclined background. I showed a little bit about my background, but uh, I've taken, you know, probably six, seven years of college in the secular world. I've spent two years at a Christian college, two and a half years. I did about two or three years of college. I'll be starting again on a certain degree um, in fall as well. So I'm somebody who has done a lot of education. I'm also somebody who has taught a year and a half in a Bible school as well and a Christian academy. And so I've dealt with a, a lot of different kinds of minds and different kinds of perspectives and worldviews. And uh, there are just a few things I want to share with you when it comes to exam time. Exam time can be some of the most excruciating time because it's a time where you are cramming, you are pressured, and you feel this just eminent thing that is just looming over you, and it's not going to be gone until the exam is over. Amen? And so for those Loma Linda college students, you know what I'm talking about. Those who are not part of Loma Linda, still this is applicable to you if you have kids or you know anybody else. This could also apply to different things in your life. Perhaps there's work deadlines or whatever it is. But the question comes, wait a minute, how do we ace our exams and still be normal? I'm going to share some interesting things with you. When you go to the Bible, you can take a good look at the, what the Bible calls the wisest man. Who was the wisest man of Scripture, ladies and gentlemen? Solomon, Solomon, very interesting individual. In fact, when you read the life of young Solomon, you find out that he is the son of who? David. King David. When you see what was taking place early on in the life of Solomon, you see somebody who was craving wisdom, asking for blessings, somebody who felt his inadequacy. In fact, when you take a good look at some of the things that took place, what was the first indication that he had wisdom? He was asking for wisdom. A wise person always feels that they need to learn more. Amen? It is the foolish person that believes they have all the information in the world. I really appreciate what Dr. Brand was saying earlier. There are questions and we need to grapple with these things. It's interesting, when you also look at the life of Solomon, you find somebody who right after he was given wisdom, dealt with a certain kind of situation, and he delivered the life of a young child. You read the latter part of his life, you find that he began to engage in certain kind of unusual kinds of practices and unusual kinds of gods that also promoted child sacrifice. So here you see somebody who began to pray for wisdom, began to just be very humble before God, and by the very end, he was somebody who had corrupted himself and began to do the things that were opposite or contrary to his original beginning. Praise God that God delivered him at the very end of his life. Amen? But we're going to be taking a good look at something that was said about Solomon. Here's what one commentator said about Solomon right here. Solomon was never so rich or so wise or so truly great as when he confessed, I am but a little what? Child, I know not how to go out or come in. In other words, Solomon was never as powerful, as great, wise as he was when he admitted that he was just a little child before God. 
And this is a powerful thing when you begin to realize the humble attitude of this powerful king. Those who today occupy positions of trust should seek to learn the lessons taught by Solomon's prayer. The lesson taught by Solomon's prayer, excuse me, the higher the position a man occupies, the greater the responsibility that he has to bear. The wider will be the influence that he exerts and the greater his need of his dependence on God. He is to stand before God in the attitude of a what? Learner. In fact, are you a disciple of Christ? Yes or no? Amen. The word disciple actually means learner. We are called to be eternal disciples. We are called to be eternal what? Learners. And when we're dealing with a finite or infinite being, we are finite beings, throughout all of eternity, we're going to be grappling and understanding more about who God is as he unfolds more and more of his great mystery. He is to stand before God in the attitude of a learner. Position does not give holiness of character. It is by honoring God and obeying his command that a man is made truly great. Can you say amen to that? So if you want to ace your exams, you want to be intelligent, you want to be somebody who uses your mind to its fullest capacity, the very first thing you need to understand is that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Amen? That's the first place you need to start. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, there is something that God has given to each and every human being, and that is called a brain. Amen? Everybody have a brain here? Hopefully, right? If you don't, you're in the right place. Loma Linda, I think they might be able to do brain transplants here. Okay. The brain is the central organ that directs the intricate functions that make possible memory, vision, learning, thought, consciousness, and other properties of mind. In fact, during fetal development, the foundations of the mind are laid. The brain is of extraordinary importance. A lot of neurobiologists understand uh, things about the brain, but there is still this vast, you can say, um, understanding that is, needs to be discovered more and more and more. I heard even one scientist put it like this. He says this, we actually understand more about the surface of the moon than we do the human brain trying to understand the things that take place in the brain and how consciousness emerges is something that is so beyond any advanced kind of computer three and a half pounds of gray matter I never forgot one day I was speaking at a college and I was talking about this very subject how the Bible is connected to enhancing the intelligent properties of the brain and other individuals who were not part of this class actually walked by people who were not Christian and they began to stop and listen because they were blown away by some of these things that they were hearing everybody has a brain and there is something that we all need to understand that there is something called a brain body interface what affects the body affects the what brain and what affects the brain affects the body right these two things are connected in fact take a good look at this lady she has put Loma Linda on the spot do you know what this lady's name is Marge that's exactly right how many people have ever met Marge before wow I wish I could have met Marge Marge was featured on a Oprah show where there was a particular author who entitled his book called The Blue Zones. And this individual began to look at the longest living people on earth. Loma Linda was actually featured in that study. Another individual, her name, or her, her, her name was called, uh, I forget her last name, it was Marge something. But Marge was somebody, I believe, who was over the age of 100, but she was somebody who was constantly exercising, somebody who was just driving away, driving like a speed demon actually in the video. And she was somebody who had her mind still very present. She understood some of these uh, relationships that existed between the body and the mind. A lot of times you find that people as they get older and as their body begins to shut down, their brain begins to shut down and their mind becomes slower and slower and slower. That does not have to happen if you treat your body right. Amen? Amen. So what we're going to be doing is we're going to be taking a good look at some tips that can help you improve when it comes to your intelligence. Take a good look at this study right here. Another study found that individuals consistently scored higher on intellectual tests after embarking on a three-month, notice that next word, running program. The study involved seven young people who ran for 30 minutes for two to three times a week. After 12 weeks of jogging, scores on all tests significantly increased, as did their reaction time in completing the test. Conclusion of the researchers was that there was a marked improvement in prefrontal lobe function. Yeah, I used to think, wait a minute, is it smart people who run or is it running that makes people smart? And I've come to the conclusion it is running that helps people become smarter. There's a lot of blood circulation that begins to take place there. Running is something that's really good. If you're somebody who wakes up, you spend time in the Word, one of the best things to do right afterwards is to take a jog. By the way, did Jesus exercise? Yes or no? 
Absolutely. What would he oftentimes do? He was a mountain climber. <laughs> Amen? He was a mountain climber. He was somebody who was constantly physical, constantly moving around, constantly walking. I can just imagine he was somebody that probably had this quick jump in his step and the disciples were always falling behind him because Jesus had a mission and he knew that in order to keep his mind clear, he needed to keep his body working very well. Can you say amen to that? Here's something else that I personally tried as well. Fasting. BDNF, brain-derived neurotrophic factor, is a neurotrophin that actually helps the survival, development, and function of the brain cells and can actually stimulate the development of new brain cells. Short periods of fasting is, well, that's actually, that grammar is actually incorrect, is can also increase BDNF. When they had a difficult decision to make many of the great men in the world turn to a short-term fasting to sharpen their thinking. What happens is, is when the food in the belly, the brain, brain, uh, blood begins to leave the brain and begins to help those organs digest that food. But giving yourself short times of fasting when there's a lot of intellectual thinking required is actually very helpful. Now you don't want to go on the extreme end where you're fasting for day after day after day after day, but when you have to do some hard thinking, ladies and gentlemen, fasting is actually a wonderful form of exercise that can really help, or form, uh, a practice that can really help. Take a good look at this. This is what one commentator said right here. There are persons who would be more benefited by abstinence from food for a day or two every week than by any amount of medicine or treatment or medical advice. Now watch what they say right here. To fast one day a week would be of incalculable benefit to them incalculable benefit to them. This is not about your standing before God, ladies and gentlemen. This is about how your body works and how your brain works. Whenever you need to do some tough thinking, whenever you need to do some hard thinking, just taking a break from food, ladies and gentlemen, would actually improve your ability to think clearer. I've done it multiple times whenever I had to do some very hard thinking. Here's something else that can very help, help you as well. High doses of EPA, DHA, Supplementation has been shown to stabilize and halt the progression of mild to moderate Alzheimer's disease over a six-month period. Youth with bipolar disorder experienced dramatic improvements with EPA and DHA supplements. Youth with major depression also experienced significant improvement with supplementation. For those with seizures, EPA, DHA supplements decrease frequency or subsequent seizures by 50%. So if you're looking to sharpen your brain, one thing you can also try is putting foods in your body that have high levels of omega-3. Omega-3. That is something that science is discovering more and more that has some effects. Here are some foods, ladies and gentlemen, that you can eat during test time, exam time, that could really help you when you have to do some hard thinking. Take a good look at flax seeds, chia seeds, walnuts. By the way, I love chia seeds. How many people have ever taken chia seeds before? Chia seeds are a wonderful food, and that's kind of what I call the new flaxseed. There's actually a tribe in North Mexico called the Tarahumara tribe. And these individuals, are individuals that they're called a running tribe. They're always constantly on the run. Researchers have a difficult time trying to track them because they're always on the move. They have actually, pay attention to this, they have set these runners against marathon runners in the US and they have blown them away. They've even put these runners against ultra marathon runners and they have blown them away. The Tarmahara tribe have been known within just a few days to do over 500 miles. 500 miles, running nonstop. These individuals don't wear regular tennis shoes. They actually per prefer to run on just these sandals that are made out of tire. One time, one promoter tried to give them some tennis shoes, tried to promote this big old race. They found the shoes in a bush <laughs> because these people do not want to run in them. They prefer to run as natural as possible. But one of the things this researcher began to notice about these people who are running a lot is that when they were running, they would be taking out a mixture and then they put this mixture in their mouth and they would continue running. And you know what that mixture was? It was a mixture of nuts and chia seeds. Chia seeds. They were taking chia seeds constantly and that was able to give them so much energy. Very interesting. So here are some things that you can do as well that can help with thinking. How about sleep? Ooh, the most difficult obstacle for college students right here. Sleep. Sleep is extremely important. Sleep is a time when your brain is rejuvenated, where your body is rejuvenated, where your mind is rejuvenated. And oftentimes when sleep is lacking, there can be a lot of symptomatic problems that begin to develop during test time, right? 
fact, look what one researcher, researcher said. In other researchers, sci other research, scientists have found that people who are learning new skills don't improve their performance in the new skill set unless they complete a full eight-hour sleep cycle, including a period of REM, rapid eye movement. In fact, what's interesting about REM, it is during that phase that certain part of your brain actually begins to rejuvenate. And when the body does not have that chance to go through that REM phase, the body misses some vital stages of rejuvenation. And what is the result? Well, here are some of the um, things that begin to take place. Sleep-deprived people have trouble thinking of imaginative words or ideas, choosing repetitious words or phrases instead. They are also, they are also less able to communicate in clear sentences and may, mutter speak, and may mutter speak in a monotone voice, exhibit slurred speech, or talk very slowly. Here's the thing to understand. Sleep is extremely important. Amen? And God has given rest to our bodies. And when we get good sleep, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to discover that we're going to have better thinking. You know, when I was in college, I was a theology student. And I had to take a general class that I forgot to take when I was in community college. It was anatomy and physiology. Everybody love anatomy and physiology? Okay, three people. Okay. Here's the thing to understand about anatomy and physiology. It's massive amounts of memorization. I mean, that's all you're doing essentially in the class, right? It's a very unique kind of class. You're just memorizing, 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 memorizing. Well, I had to take this class as a theology student. I thought to myself, how in the world am I going to take this class? So one of the things I did, because I knew I had to do massive amounts of memorization as well as the other classes I had to take, I began to get good sleep. I really began to make sure I was getting proper, healthy amounts of sleep. And what I would do is I would get up very early. And I found that when I get up very early, that the early hours are times that my brain operates like a sponge. In fact, when I want to learn a hobby, I would get up very early and I would attempt that particular kind of hobby and I found that my retention was greater. But I had to make sure I got good sleep. In fact, when final time took place, there was massive amounts of memorization. I remember it was about 8.30 at night, and I was in my room, and I was thinking to myself, how in the world am I going to memorize all this information right here? So I thought to myself, you know what? I'm going to get good sleep. That's what I'm going to do right here. Everybody else was cramming. So I thought to myself, good sleep. Went to sleep at 9 p.m., slept like a baby, woke up about 3 a.m., spent time with Jesus, and then I, get, I began about two hours of study, and I found that when I took that final, it was so interesting, I was taking it really rapidly. And you know when people are taking tests very rapidly, you can hear the pencil scribble, and it's very annoying? That's what I was doing. <laughs> I was taking it super fast. I like to take tests super fast. If I'm not taking a test super fast, I feel like I'm going to fail it. And so I was taking it super fast. I was done. I handed the test to my teacher. All the students looked up to me, and they were just like... Found out next time when I went to class, I aced that exam. I actually did better than most anatomy and physiology students. And then the teacher announced, by the way, there is a theology student here that has done better than all of you right here. I was the only theology student in that class. So sleep is good, amen? Making sure you're getting good rest is important. So after this is over, if you can talk for a few minutes. You can get a massage if you want from Vasa. But make sure you get home, you get some good sleep, and you're going to find that when you wake up early and you try to get into this cycle of good sleep, you're going to find you're going to have better stability in your emotions. You're going to find you have sharper thinking, a greater retention of those things that you are trying to memorize. To me, above all things, sleep is of vital importance. God has designed rest for humanity. Amen. In fact, when you read the scriptures, you find that even before a fallen world, even before a sinful world, God actually instituted a kind of rest for mankind. Take a good look at what the Bible teaches about the creation week. When you go to Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, look, at what, look what the scriptures teach right here. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the hosts of them were finished. And on the what? Seventh day God ended his work which he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all the work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day. Now notice this, there's repetition and it's not because God is lacking sleep here. But God knows that he's going to rest. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it he rested from all his what? Work which God had created and made. Notice three things God does in Genesis chapter 2. Number one, he rests on the day. Number two, he blesses the day. Number three, he sanctifies the day. 
And God set this day apart for Adam and Eve and for all of humanity well before there was a single Jew. God designed rest to be part of the dynamics of existence, even before there was sin in this world. And if this was so necessary in a pre-fallen world, how much more important and significant in a fallen world? Amen? But I also want you to pay attention to something else. The scriptures teach something, and this is this powerful thought right here. When did God actually bless and sanctify the day? Yeah, on the seventh day. When though? Okay, notice this right here. Take a good look at what the Bible is saying right here. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the hosts of them were finished. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done. He rested on the seventh day from all the work, which he had done. Then, implying, implying some kind of sequence, God blessed the seventh day and what? Sanctified it because in it, he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. Notice this, that God actually blesses the seventh day after it's kept. He actually sets apart the day after it is experienced. And the reason why is because God was teaching Adam and Eve first, not by theology, but by experience, the blessings of this holy day. And as they began to experience this wonderful day that God had set apart for them, they were so blown away. But at the very end of it, God says, hey, by the way, I want to let you guys know something. I'm actually blessing this day. I've sanctified it because this is going to be a special day that you are to remember and you are to teach your children. Can you say amen to that? In fact, when you read scripture, you find that in the creation week, God will oftentimes create an environment and then seek to fill that environment, right? He he created the sky, he would fill it with birds. He created the land, he would fill it with land animals. He created the sea, he would fill it with fishes, right? Somebody said birds, fishes. <laughs> but then God creates mankind. And the question is, wait a minute, is God called mankind to fill something or is mankind rather the environment? And what you begin to discover from Scripture is that it's both. Not only was mankind meant to be someone who would be part of the feeling of a certain kind of environment, but mankind himself would be the environment that God himself on the very next day would fill with special time apart with him. Amen? The reason why God created the Sabbath is because he was wanting to spend a special time with Adam and fill that void that was in Adam's heart. What is part of the dynamics of all existence and part of the DNA of every single human being is a desire to know more about God. And sometimes that desire can be um, sort of twisted or it can be just hidden, but that desire is still present. And when we begin to look in other areas to fill that desire, we often find that that desire is still not satisfied. But when you take a good look at why God set up the Sabbath, it was to fill man's heart. It was to have a special kind of relationship. The Bible teaches in three different places that mankind was the temple of God. And God himself would fill that temple through the power of his Holy Spirit. Amen? Even the Bible says in the Ten Commandments, the very fourth, fourth commandment, right there tucked in between the Ten Commandments, remember the what? Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. Right there tucked in the Ten Commandments is this wonderful commandment to rest. When you are looking at God's law, you are seeing more than just the law or propositional statements. You are seeing a beautiful law of love, a law that defines relationships. And what God wants us to understand, the first four commandments that represent our relationship to God and the last six commandments that represent our relationship to mankind are brought together through the Sabbath commandment. Interlocked and connected and linked through the fourth commandment where we're able to bring the first four commandments and the last six together. It is because of the fourth commandment. The fourth commandment is the biggest commandment, and it here defines who God really is. In fact, what is very interesting, God understood and put it in the DNA of mankind, the dynamics of existence, the need for the Sabbath. 
Take a good look at what these chronobiologists are saying. Chronobiology is still a developing science. At first glance, it might seem that weekly rhythms developed in response to the seven-day week imposed by human culture thousands of years ago. However, this theory does not, doesn't hold once when you realize that plants, insects, and animals other than humans also have weekly cycles. Biology, therefore, not culture, is probably at the source of our seven-day week. And that's an extra-biblical pr perspective or a perspective that's outside the Bible. Here's what somebody else said, another chronobiologist. Failing to rest after six days of work leads to insomnia, hormonal imbalance, irritability, and other physical and mental systems. Our biological clock runs on a 24-hour cycle so that because society runs on a 24-hour clock, we need to catch up and rest our bodies longer seventh day, every seventh day to catch up. By the way, there's been certain emperors and kings that have attempted to change the weekly cycle. And what they discovered is when they did that, society itself broke down. In fact, there was a certain Russian ruler that attempted to change the weekly cycle, and what he discovered is that people were checking themselves into mental institutions during that change. It threw off the entire dynamics of human existence. Here we see it's not just Bible, but it's actually biology that is craving this seventh day of rest that God has set apart for all of humanity. And that's why the Bible teaches that God not just rested on this day, he blessed it, he sanctified it, he made it holy. A lot of Christians ask the question, wait a minute, did Jesus himself keep the Sabbath? Well, of course, some of this may be a little bit of review, but I want to go very quickly over this. I want to follow Jesus. What day did Jesus keep holy? Luke chapter 4, verse 16. So he came to Nazareth where he he had been brought up, and as his what? Custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. The Sabbath day is that 24-hour special time, Friday sundown to Saturday sundown, where mankind is brought into a special kind of communion with God. And the way that Jesus chose to spend the Sabbath day was to go to church on the Sabbath day. Did the early church Christians actually keep the Sabbath day? Take a good look at what theologians said right here. The primitive Christians had a great veneration for the Sabbath and spent the day in devotions and sermon. And it is not to be doubted, but they derived this practice from the who? Apostles themselves, as appears by several scriptures to the purpose. Also take a good look at this. This is by Norman Geisler, another apologist. The Gentile Christians observed the, also the Sabbath. So here we see it wasn't just Jesus that kept the Sabbath, the apostles that kept the Sabbath, but it was the early church that was also keeping the Sabbath. It is certain that the ancient Sabbath did remain and was observed by the Christians of the East Church above 300 years after our Savior's death. In fact, when you see that the Sabbath commandment and this special day reaches all cultures and languages, you actually find in over 105 languages, the word for the seventh day is connected to the word Sabbath. Sabbath. And there you see in Hebrew, Greek, Latin, Arabic, Persian, Russia, Hindi, French, Italian, Spanish, and plenty that this special day was written into culture. Culture and language are very united. They're very connected. What takes place in culture influences language. And there you see right there, very present, the Sabbath commandment. Very interesting. God has given us the Ten Commandments, that law that was written in stone, the royal law of love. God has given this day to us because this is supposed to be a special day in which we are growing in our walk with God. And this is a very powerful concept when you begin to think about it. And as you take this seventh day apart to spend with Jesus, when you go to church, when you commune with God, when you read your Bible, when you do outreach, all sorts of things on this special day, you will find that the rest of the week goes a lot better. In fact, it was not just um, understood by Christians even after in the first, second, and third century Christians, it was also observed by other individuals as well. When Catholic missionaries actually came to Ethiopia, a thousand years later, they were attempting to proselytize Africa. They were shocked by something. There they found in Ethiopia a certain kingdom that was there. And what they discovered about this Christian kingdom is that they were keeping the seventh-day Sabbath. In fact, when they asked them the question, they said, wait a minute, how did you learn this and how are you keeping the seventh-day Sabbath? They were quite shocked when they discovered that they actually traced their Sabbath-keeping to, number one, the Ethiopian eunuch that was converted in the book of Acts and, past that point, the Queen of Sheba. Very interesting. This was a nation that was untouched by Western civilization. 
And you would think, wait a minute, if these people received the gospel as it came, therefore it was probably, un it was probably undiluted and unadulterated by the rest of civilization. And what they discovered is that after the great discoveries of the 15th and 16th centuries, they became known, they became known again to the Christian world. They were found observing the ancient Sabbath. Yet it is a fact of no little significance in the consideration of this subject that this large body of Christians, which had been so long separated from the influence of the Catholic Church, were found after a thousand years still observing the seventh day. And that's powerful stuff when you begin to realize the, the thought, the, the immensity of this thought and the ramifications of this. This was a church that was untouched by Western civilization, untouched by the Middle Church's influence, Middle Ages Church's influence. And here they were, they were still keeping the Ten Commandments, observing the Seventh-day Sabbath right here. Because God after, in fact, this was the king of Ethiopia who was part of this nation, and they were asked, wait a minute, why are you keeping the seventh-day Sabbath? And what they discovered was this response. Because God, after he had finished creation of the world, rested therein. Which day, as God would have called it, the holy of holies, so that the non, so the non, the not celebrating thereof with great honor and devotion seems to be plainly contrary to God's will and precept, who suffer heaven and earth to pass away sooner than his word. And that especially since Christ came not to destroy the law but to fulfill it it is not therefore an imitation to the jews but obedience to christ and his holy apostles that we observe that day interesting footnote right here is this that the middle-aged church the roman church actually forced them into submission and made them worship on sunday they actually persecuted them because of this and forced them into obedience over this particular issue and they finally obliged because they were being persecuted. In fact, when you take a good look at uh, Irish background right here, a lot of people believe that uh, St. Patrick was somebody who might have been a Sabbath keeper, and the reason why is because there were certain individuals during his time, certain um, groups of people that were keeping the Seventh-day Sabbath. The, the Celts used to use a Latin Bible unlike the Vulgate and kept Saturday as a day of rest with special religious services on Sunday. It seems to have been customary in the uh, Celtic churches of early times in Ireland as well as Scotland to keep Saturday, the Jewish Sabbath, as a day of rest from labor. They obeyed the fourth commandment literally upon the seventh day of the week. Very remarkable when you begin to think about it. Theologians said this powerful point right here, and I think this is connected when it deals with science and religion. It is this concept right here. The purpose of the Sabbath was to draw mankind's attention to nature, to science, to study of, of all that God had created. This theologian began to produce a certain correlation as he examined history when the Sabbath was removed by the early church. The melody of Christ and his creation was silenced in the Christian church early on in its history. Disparagement of the Sabbath, as in the writings of origin, went hand in hand with the repudiation of the body and the neglect of the earth. If attention to nature ground almost to a halt, it was owed in part to the fact that the ideological framework to value nature was lacking. In other words, when the Sabbath was finally removed by mankind, not by God, what happens is that the Christians begin to have no longer a great regard for nature, for the body, for the organism. In fact, the middle-aged church began to develop colleges where theology had supremacy and science was seen as something that was lacking. In fact, something that is also very interesting is that during the Dark Ages, they begin to outlaw basic medical practices practices, and it was due in large part to the ideology. Thus the groundwork was laid for a millennium of indifference towards the body and the natural world. With time, this outlook resulted in unprecedented helplessness in matters of health and disease. People not only lacked rudimentary understanding of health and hygiene, they did not take the kind of interest in the physical world that could have led to insight. And it was all because mankind attempted to change and twist what God had set up. Ladies and gentlemen, if you take a car and it comes right off the line of a um, manufacturer's, um, you can say, warehouse, it comes right off the line, it comes stock, it's designed to be most efficient and effective. When you change those parts and you say you put aftermarket parts in there, you begin to adjust things, take out things, what you're going to discover is that vehicle is no longer going to run as efficient as it once did. And so when God set up the dynamics of existence, the Sabbath was meant to be part of that dynamic. But when the Sabbath was removed, all of a sudden changes and other influences begin to take over and you begin to find a world that was irritated, stressed out, and other problems begin to develop. In fact, the climax of the Dark Ages when it came to this faulty ideology was the Black Plague. 
Millions died. Most of England was wiped out. Much of Europe was wiped out. Theologians and researchers look back at that time and they said rudimentary basic health practices would have saved countless millions. But because of that current ideology that was existing at that time, because of the removal of the Sabbath, because there was no more interest in nature, you had a religion that wanted nothing to do with science, and eventually this would lead to the French Revolution and eventually mainstream atheism, which was a science that wanted nothing to do with religion. And so you begin to see the effects when you mess with what God has set up. This is why God wrote this in stone. Somebody once said this, before you remove a fence, ask why was it put there in the beginning? Amen? One commentator put it this way, for centuries Europe had made no progress in learning arts or civilization. A moral intellectual paralysis had fallen upon Christendom. They removed something that was super important that was drawing mankind to nature to all that the Creator had set up. The theologian says this, Siegfried Tan said, historians of medicine have looked to the prevailing Christian view of the world at that time as a contributing factor, the unfathomable disaster could not be attributed to accident. In other words, this was no random occurrence that was taking place. This was due to a faulty ideology. It was man's attempt to change what God had set up. And because the Sabbath was removed, because this special institution that was designed to connect man with creation was removed, it led to this kind of religious thinking that separated mankind from the earth. And this is why oftentimes monk would whip, monks would whip themselves. They were trying to bring their brain into submission. They would not care what would happen to the body. But God has designed us to take care of the body. Can you say amen to that? And when we understand what the scriptures are teaching about the seventh-day Sabbath, that it draws us to respect not only the Creator, but His creations, we are blown away. This is a very powerful thought right here when you begin to think about God breathing, right? Now I want you to do a little bit of experiment with me. I want you, okay, don't faint on me, okay, here we go. I want you to keep breathing, exhaling without inhaling, okay? Let's see how long you can last. Ready? If you turn red, you get dizzy, please stop. Okay. Ready? Here we go. Exhale. Three seconds. Okay. Let's try that a little bit more. Ready? I want you to exhale as long as you can, okay? One, two, three, go. Four seconds. Very good. That's amazing. That is so amazing, right? Now I want you to think about this, okay? It's just some uh, interesting illustration right here. If all you did was exhale and not inhale, what would happen to you eventually? You would die, right? That's obvious, right? Now I want you to think about this. Whenever God created things, take a look at what the scriptures are teaching right here. That the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and what? Exhaled into his nostrils the breath of life, right? Psalms 33, verse 6 says, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and all the hosts of them were by the, what? God breathed the universe into existence. Take a good look at this. Even when Jesus died, he gave up his, what? His, what? His breath, right? And when he had said this, he breathed on them, and he said to them, Receive the, Holy Spirit, right? His breath was a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Here you see throughout creation, redemption, and sanctification, God has given his breath over and over and over and over and over again. The Bible even describes that when Jesus died on the cross, he, he gave up his breath. God has given up his breath for all of humanity over and over again, not just in creation, not just in redemption, but he has over and over, he has given up his breath. He has given up that special creative power. Now, something I want you to pay attention to when you begin to understand this, the Bible says something very remarkable in Exodus 31, verse 17. It says this. This is very powerful and extraordinary right here. It is a sign talking about the seventh-day Sabbath between me and the children of who? Israel forever. Now, notice this. It goes back to creation. For in six days, the Lord made the what? Heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day, he rested and was what? Refreshed. Now, the Bible begins to introduce something here about God's Sabbath day keeping. That he himself was what? Refreshed on the seventh day Sabbath. 
Now, this is a very interesting point. I think it bears uh, us talking about it. The Bible also says right here in Exodus 23, verse 12, six days you shall do all your work, and on the seventh day you shall rest, and that your ox and your donkey may rest, and on the, the son of your female servant, and the stranger may be what? Refresh. There's that phrase again. Now I want you to pay attention exactly what in the world is that word refresh mean? Here's a simple Strong's Concordance definition right here. Strong's Concordance, refresh means nifal, it means to take a what? Breath. Now when you think about all of God, all that God does, He breathes out, He gives, He gives up His breath, He gives His breath by the word of His mouth and by the breath of His mouth over and over again, God is constantly breathing out life, He is constantly breathing out creation, constantly breathing out blessings, but the Bible says something unique, that God Himself actually <gasps> took in a breath on the Sabbath. Now, we can understand this and we can say to ourselves, wait a minute, does God actually need to take a breath? Physically, absolutely not, because He is God. But emotionally, God inhales on the Sabbath day. In other words, He Himself is blessed in that special, unique time when you and God come together on the seventh-day Sabbath and rest together in a special part of your relationship. You see, we have a relationship with God throughout the entire week. Amen? Not just once, one, one, one day a week, but every day. But on the Sabbath, we actually set apart a 24-hour period where we say, God, this is just going to be about you and me. And so we do all those things that honor God. The Bible actually says in Isaiah 58, it talks about not doing your pleasure, not speaking your words, or doing your thing. What's the implication? You're doing God's pleasure. You're doing God's word. You're doing God's work. And what is taking place is that you are blessing God in your Sabbath keeping. A lot of times we make God so impersonal and so removed from all of creation, it's almost like he's this stoic being that just somehow has put the worlds into rotation and uh, uh, revolution and just completely has dismissed himself from that. But when you take a good look at the Sabbath, you begin to realize that God himself is in time, amen? And that he himself is affected by your relationship. The Bible says when even one man repents from his way, the Father rejoices. And so on the seventh day Sabbath, you take this special day and you say, God, this is all going to be about you. I'm going to go to church because I want to hear what your words are. I'm going to take this special day to spend with you and to commune with you. What you're going to discover is that this isn't just a day about you. This is a day that's about God. And that is so remarkable, and that new perspective you begin to have on the Sabbath day, that this special day, God wants me to bless His heart. You think about a God that has dealt with millions of angels that have rebelled, much of humanity that has broken His heart. God has been affected by the rebellion. Every day he sorrows when you think about the countless tragedies and pains that are taking place. Yet you yourself can refresh the heart of God in the way you keep the Sabbath. It becomes all about honoring God and not yourself. One commentator put it this way, the Sabbath is a golden what? Clasp that unites God and his what? People. God and his people. Now, how do we understand this really quickly in the last few moments? How did Jesus keep the Sabbath? How did he bless the heart of God? Well, Jesus went to church on the Sabbath. Take a good look at one ordinary Sabbath day of Jesus right here. So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and his custom was he went into the synagogue on the what? Sabbath day, and if Jesus did it, I want to do it. Amen? And he stood up to read. Pay attention to this. Jesus did not just go to church on the Sabbath. He actually got involved. Amen? And whether you're called to read a scripture reading or, design, or take out a, a trash can on the Sabbath, God wants you to be involved. Can you say amen to that? But after church, Jesus did something very special. Take a good look at this. Oh, this is Paul right here. Actually, find out what Paul did on the Sabbath. Then Paul, as his custom was, went to them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures. Paul himself kept the Sabbath. Take a good look at this. On the Sabbath, Jesus ate with people to encourage them. After church, Jesus actually went to potluck. 
And it came to pass, this is right on the Sabbath, right after that uh, um, experience when he came out of the church, Jesus went into the house of one of the chief Pharisees to eat bread on the what? Sabbath day. Whenever Jesus was invited, he would love to go into people's home. And so on the Sabbath day, there should be this special time of eating. Eating and worship are uniquely connected because you are putting things in your body. And that's a very intimate thing. That's why in communion, God gives us the bread and the juice because it's supposed to represent something that we are putting in ourselves right here. So here we understand Jesus went to church on the Sabbath. Another occasion, afterwards, he spent time eating lunch. One of the best things you can do is fellowship with one another. And here's the thing. A lot of people say, wait a minute, is it good to go out on the Sabbath? Is it okay for me to go out and get, eat some food at a restaurant, maybe Olive Garden? Here's the thing I want you guys to understand. The fourth commandment says something very interesting. God says, I don't want you to work, nor do I want your donkey or ox to work. And ladies and gentlemen, what is of more value, a human being or a donkey and ox? And if God doesn't want your donkey and ox to work, we should do everything in our power to try to prepare for the Sabbath day. By the way, when's the best day to remember a test? On the day of the test or a few days prior to the test? A few days prior to the test, right? Why? You can prepare. Very good. So preparation is extremely important for the Sabbath day. And when you do that, you're going to find the Sabbath day is a wonderful delight. Oftentimes after church, I'll have a special lunch at my house, invite some church members over. And during this special time, we are just uh, eating, and it's just a wonderful time of fellowship and talking about all the good things that God has done for us. And so we find that on the seventh day Sabbath, God has blessed us in an extraordinary way. So what else did Jesus do on the Sabbath? Take a good look at this. And should not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has Bound, think of it for 18 years, be loose from this bond on the Sabbath day. Jesus says, above all other days, the best day to heal somebody and to bring them closer to God and free them from the power of Satan is none other than the what? The Sabbath day. And this is remarkable when you begin to think about this, that of all the days, the very best day that someone can be drawn to the Creator and free from the power of Satan, Jesus says, it should be on the Sabbath day. And that's powerful when you begin to think about this. Jesus also enjoyed nature. Jesus went to church on Sabbath, went to potluck, and then he went to nature. The Bible says this about Jesus. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the what? Sabbath. You see, the question in the New Testament was not whether or not you should keep the Sabbath. The question in the New Testament was how you should keep the Sabbath. Do you hear what I just said right here? The question in the New Testament was not whether or not you should keep the Sabbath, but the question was, wait a minute, how should you keep the Sabbath? And Jesus began to free the Sabbath from man-made institution and other laws that were forcing the people into a very dry experience. And when he showed them the beauty of the Sabbath, all of a sudden, people rejoiced and followed him in this. Jesus himself took advantage of nature. The Bible itself talks about Paul right here. Look what it says right here. This is Paul's word right here. And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside. That's not talking about the area, not too far from Loma Linda. That's actually talking by, amen? <laughs> okay, okay. It's talking about, it's talking about this riverside. I'm trying to get back into it. Okay. Where prayer was customarily made. We sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Paul himself said, you know what, on the Sabbath day, I'm going to do something special. I'm going to go by the riverside and go into nature. And the best day that you can commune with God is on the Sabbath day, but in nature. In fact, one of my good friends, he actually discovered this same truth, and he was somebody who was, learn who was learned about the Sabbath, but he decided he wasn't going to keep it. One day he was actually walking into a forest, and he saw these three or four men there, and they were painting things in the forest. Actual account. And as he was painting, he was watching these men, they were painting. One individual was actually the teacher. He was leading out all these people, and he was painting this beautiful picture of these trees and of nature itself, and he was just admiring it. And he said to the individual, he said, okay, how much does this painting cost? I want to buy it from you. And the man said, I'm not going to sell it. And my friend said, wait a minute, I'll give you some money for it. I'll pay the amount. And the man said, I'm not going to sell it. And my friend asked again, okay, he took out his wallet, he's like, I'll bargain with you. Take out some money, I'll give it to you. And the man said, you don't understand, this is my Sabbath here. I'll just give you the painting. 
You see, my friend had already understood the truth about the Sabbath, but then when he had this random encounter, he knew that God was speaking to him in a powerful way. God was calling him to set this special day apart where he could rest and commune with God and bless the heart of God. God used the Sabbath for outreach as well. How much then is a man better than a sheep? Wherefore, it is lawful to do well on the Sabbath day. Here you see that Jesus oftentimes would use the Sabbath to reach out to people, to bless the heart of people, because he understood this day was about restoring man to the image of his maker. And when you begin to understand all the powerful things that God is teaching us about the seventh-day Sabbath and how he wants us to participate in that, you begin to realize there's a God who loves us, who cares for us, who truly wants to bless us in extraordinary ways. Jesus knows about struggling hearts. He knows about hearts that are filled with anxiety and burdens and woes. He knows about people that want to know more about him who want to follow God and worship him out of the sincerity of their heart. And he knows all these things. This is why God gives us the seventh-day Sabbath, a special 24-hour period where your relationship with God can be magnified to an extraordinary level, where your heart can be drawn out to communion. And when you're done with the Sabbath, you will discover you are refreshed. Ladies and gentlemen, you might have known this beautiful truth already, or this is your first time. You may be somebody who hasn't really followed the Sabbath, like the Bible is teaching, or this is a brand new experience to you altogether. But if you're listening to these things, it's because God wants to bless you, and He knows where your experience is at. He wants to take that experience to a whole new level. And he wants to invite you into this temple of time, this very special experience of the seventh-day Sabbath. How many people say, Lord, I want to follow your commandments. I want to keep the seventh-day holy according to the Bible. Amen. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you. Although we don't understand all the details, we just thank you, God. You're inviting us to a special 24-hour period where we can commune with you and where you can draw our hearts closer and closer to heaven. Father in heaven, we pray that you would answer the questions that are on our hearts. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.